glad to have you with us. Uh, because there, were, there are a whole lot of people watching online than usual, um, they might not have been following this series of messages. And uh, last week, last message, we were talking about uh, happiness in you. And I uh, shared with you the three different ways of mourning. And instead of me going over this, and reciting it, so to remind you, and those for those who've never heard the message, you can download it. But I want a youngest member of our church is going to summarize it for you. I'm going to put, uh, you got it? Tell me what you heard in church today. Well, there's three ways of mourning. So one is mourning over self-pity, which is not, you shouldn't. It's basically like? like if you were in a play and you didn't get the part you wanted, like, oh, I didn't get this part. And then there's mourning over life struggles. It's like when you lose someone you love or someone gets sick and it's really hard for your family or something, like that's good to cry. And then the third one is over sin because basically like that's, you should cry over your sin. You know it's bad and you realize that I've done wrong. Like you can definitely cry over that. What God do. And God will forgive you if you confess. <laughs> That's what it's all about. I want to begin by telling you that back in the 70s, the early 70s particularly, when we lived in Australia, uh, some of you who are old enough will remember that because it's not only happening in Australia, it's happening in England and probably elsewhere. There was a whole movement within the trade union movement of exercising power by going on strike. I'm talking about crippling strikes. It was not just a strike for a day or two or one or two groups of people, but the trade unions, at least in Australia, and I know it happened in England, they went for weeks on strike. And not only one or two unions, sometimes up to half a dozen or even more uh, unions are on strike. They crippled the country. Literally, cities were crippled with, this, with these strikes. And uh, thank goodness that's changed now. At that time in Australia, where I was there watching with intensity, uh, the trade union leader, the man who was in charge of the trade union movement, a man by the name of Bob Hawke, was a very gruff talking guy. <laughs> but he also was a Rhodes Scholar, he was brilliant. In addition to that, he's a son, was a son of a congregational minister, congregational pastor. Uh, Bob Hogg described himself, he said, I'm an agnostic who only believe in power. Um, later, he became a prime minister, and he broke the back of the union, which is a really fascinating story. During those, one of those really crippling strikes nationwide, I mean, it was no transportation. I mean, it was just, everything was, was a disaster. One of the reporters and this is not something I read in books, I watched with my own eyes, one of the reporters walked up to him and said, Mr. Hawk, 
you're a son of a congregational pastor. And the Bible said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What do you think about that? Without batting an eye, he said, the Bible is wrong. The meek will never get anywhere. The world belongs to the aggressive and the assertive and the strong. What Mr. Hawk actually summarized for me, and I think for all of us, is that's how most people view meekness. They view the word meek meaning weak. They even rhyme. <laughs> that they see meekness as weakness. The vast majority of people have this perception that meekness is being a doormat where you let everybody walk all over you. Uh, meekness is being uh, indecisive, timid, helpless. Uh, meekness is being fearful or spineless. And please forgive me, I'm going to use the vernacular, somebody who's a wimp. Now, I understand, we just need to understand it. So I, I use rough language sometimes. But that's as rough as it's going to get here. <laughs> this is as rough as it's going to get. <clears throat> But in reality, biblical meekness has nothing to do with this wrong perception. It has nothing to do with it. Uh, years ago, a teacher asked her elementary school students to write a short essay on meekness as it is exhibited in the Quakers, that the Quakers were meek. And so she, little girl, wrote this following. She said, Quakers are very meek people who never fight and never answer back. My father must be a Quaker, but my mother is not. <laughs> well, trust kids to give away family secrets. <laughs> but since I'm an equal opportunity person, I need to balance this and tell you about the little boy, Tommy, who had a dog and he named him Uncle Joe. When people ask, oh, I have such an unusual name, why do you call your dog by such an unusual name. He said, well, because just like that uncle of mine, he growls at everything he eats, <laughs> and he wants to fight with everyone he sees. <laughs> but listen, biblical meekness is neither weakness nor timidity. The best definition of this biblical word, meek, goes something like this. It is having power, but it's under control. Say that with me. It's having power, but under control. Now, again, if you're visiting or guests with us or watching for the first time, we have been looking at the superstructure, which we call the Beatitudes. Jesus did not call them that. We call them the Beatitudes. Get the camera on that screen so that folks who are watching online can see this. These are, this is the superstructure that is built step upon step, upon a step. Uh, Jesus, when he said, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, he didn't just pluck some uh, blessings and he threw them up in the air and they came up with this. No, no, no. It's a step by step by step. And these stepping stairs, we saw the very first one, you remember, is being broken on the inside. Uh, when the Bible talks about poor in spirit, which means I am declaring bankruptcy, 
God, I can do nothing without you. God, I'm helpless without you. God, I could never save myself. God, you're the only power I need and I have. God, come into my life. That is the beginning. And that's the beginning of what we call a person becoming a Christian believer. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps on going. It is not just an event or experience in life, and then you forgot all about it. No. It continues, that brokenness continues into the attitude of mourning. And as we saw from that brilliant young lady, <laughs> who I'm sure you know who she is, <laughs> you're grieving over, over sin. And that continuous mourning over the condition that we're in and we find ourselves in, the shortcomings and the failures, it comes into developing meekness, power under strength. Certainly, nobody could ever accuse Moses of being weak, right? You can't really accuse him of being weak or coward. And yet God described Moses as the meekest man on the face of the earth. And certainly there is no more courageous, powerful person ever walked the face of the earth than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet he describes himself as meek and lowly at heart. And yet both the Lord Jesus and Moses exhibited righteous anger. They ex exhibited sinless anger. They exhibited courageous anger. They exhibited godly anger. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai after spending 40 days with, with God in, 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 on top of the mountain and carrying the very plates, the tablets that were written by the finger of God, and he watches his people worshiping a bull, he smashes them into smithereen. He became angry and broke the Ten Commandments tablets. When Jesus saw in the temple the being desecrated by unbridled greed, because that's all it was, unbridled greed, he became angry and he whipped them out of the temple and cleansed his father's house. That is righteous anger. It's vitally important to get this right. Please, get this right. There is a godly anger which builds up. There is a godless anger that tears people down. There is a righteous anger that cleanses. And there is a selfish anger that defiles. There is a righteous anger that seeks to glorify God. And there is a cowardice anger that glorifies self. In fact, throughout the Scripture, you see the distinction between power under control. Can you say that with me? Power. And power out of control. You see them in the Scripture. Look in Proverbs 16, 20, uh, 32. 16, 32, book of Proverbs. He, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than the one who takes the city. That is power under control. In Proverbs 25, 28, it tells us that he who 
has no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls, vulnerable, open to all kinds of disasters. That is power out of control. As you know, I always come clean with you. I always come, I, I, believe, I, I like to think that I'm transparent. And I've written this about in some of my books, so it's not a secret. Anger and a short fuse and short temper was an issue that I had to deal with for many years. As a young man, I mean, I was watching President Trump the other day in an interview. He said, well, I'm the kind of my, my guy you hit me once, I hit you twice. Well, <laughs> I was worse than that. I can't judge anybody else. Well, one of the great joys in my life, and I learned the Lord ministered to me in this area through the years, but one of the great joys in my life is I spent the better part of a day with truly what I consider to be a modern-day saint in Seoul, South Korea. Dr. Han Kun Chek started a church with 28, 29 refugees from North Korea and built the largest Presbyterian church in the world, Yongnak Presbyterian Church, 60,000 members. And he was, that time he became emeritus. But I, I had the privilege of going to his retirement home, a very modest house, and spend time with him. He made a statement that really ministered to me. He said, when you lose your temper, you lose everything. I came back and framed it, had it on my wall for many, many years. But the Lord began to minister to me in this whole issue, this very important lesson. The lesson is this. Anger has power just like fire has power. Anger has power. If you have the fire under control, say, in a fireplace, it's delightful. In a cold day, a fire in a fireplace is beautiful. It's delightful. That fire is your servant. It can accomplish a great deal of things. You can cook on it. You can do all kinds of things with fire. But when fire is out of control, it becomes destructive. It becomes your master. It becomes a devastating havoc, create a devastating havoc. So it is with anger. It can be your master or it can be your servant. That is why Jesus said, happiness is in you. Blessed. Makarios. Somebody came to evangelist Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a, a, a baseball player, a baseball star who turned into evangelist, a, a great name in the history of American evangelicalism. And this person said to him, uh, he said, well, Mr. Sunday, my temper flares, but then very quickly, it's all over. It's a very short period of time. And Billy Sunday said, yes, so is a shotgun blast. But look at the damage that it left behind. Look with me, please, at this superstructure once again on the screen. This is the third step that we're looking at. We looked at the first two. We're looking at the third one. Power 
under control. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have their power under control. Happy, fortunate, makarios in the Greek, are those who have their power under control, for they will inherit everything. That's really when they say the earth, everything. In Matthew 5, 5, if you haven't already turned to it, turn to it. Matthew 5, 5, one verse, page 1501. You're going to find again here that, that beatitude, that, that blessed, the meek. The word that Jesus uses was very familiar to the people who are listening to him. They always remember, I told you, in biblical interpretation, find out what it means to the people who, to, to whom he is speaking, that the writer is writing. Always find out what it meant in context. And so when Jesus talks about blessed are the meek, all of his listeners understood. But here in the 21st century, I have to explain it. Because the word meek was very familiar to them uh, because it described the soothing effect of medicine. It describes the effect of a gentle breeze upon the sailboat. Uh, it, it, It describes a horse, a wild horse that has been tamed and broken in. In fact, those three usages, were the, the word meek in the first century, were very familiar to all of them. They were very common use. Look at them again with me. Medicine, wind, wild animals. Medicine, wind, wild animals. Write them down. Medicine, wind, wild animals. Very important. The one thing about these three things that they have in common is power. They all have power, right? Medicine has power to destroy viruses. Pray that we'll discover one <laughs> for this corona thing. See, medicine has power to destroy viruses. Medicine has power to dull pain. Medicine has power to relax the muscles. Medicine has power to relieve fever. Medicine has power to help in the healing process. The same thing is true of the wind. Wind has power. We see that now, harnessing the wind to create electricity. My son-in-law is involved in this, and and, and he just put together a a billion-dollar project in Africa where they're producing a a huge amount of electricity by harnessing the wind. But it also can be out of control and become a hurricane power. Wild horses have power. (laughs) If you watch a cowboy on a bucking horse, (laughs) you would realize what a powerful animal those horses are. Medicine, wind, and horses all have power. But their power, is when it's under control, it is a wonderful thing. Great things happen. But if that power is out of control, devastation can result. Medicine at the right dosage it can bring a process of healing. But if you like the peasant that I, I heard about years ago growing up, that he said, well, if one spoon a day helps to heal you, I'll drink the whole bottle at the same time, all once. He just drank the whole bottle. Well, it killed him faster. <laughs> but at the right dosage, it's wonderful. A gentle breeze is delightful in the summer uh, 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 for, for, for a great sailing. 
but too much wind will bring a devastating hurricane. A wild horse that is broken in is delightful to the rider, but untamed horse is dangerous. So when Jesus said, listen, blessed, happy, makarios are the meek, he's telling us about power that is harnessed by the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's power that is harnessed by the Spirit of God. Power that is tamed by the Spirit of God. Power that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Power that is subdued and surrendered to the Spirit. Himerat, please. This is important. You see this meekness very clearly in the life of Abraham in dealing with his wild nephew, Lot. You know Lot? Remember Lot, his nephew? In dealing with his wild nephew, you see the meekness of the man. When they came to blows, Abraham and his nephew Lot, Abraham, who through a lot of pain and painful experiences, learned to have power under control, told his wild nephew, take what you want and depart. Now, Abraham could have said, and in the culture of the day, that is absolutely what would have happened. He could have said to his nephew, everything you have is because of me. Hello. That's the natural thing. Lot, you've been ungrateful brat, whatever the Hebrew term is for brat. You're going to get nothing. (laughs) That's the cultural norm. The cultural norm at the time is that the older gets the choice and the younger gets the leftover. Now, being the youngest in a big family, (laughs) let me tell you, I ended up with the leftover all the time. (laughs) Here. (laughs) Somebody else also grew up as the youngest. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) But because Abraham developed this meekness through the years and through the pains and the experiences and the shortcomings and all the things I've been through. He was able to bring this power under control in his dealing with Lot. So, what did he say to him? He said, take whatever you want. Go wherever you want to go. Take whatever you think is best. (laughs) I'll take the leftover. I will go in the opposite direction. You take the best land, and I'll go the opposite direction. Uh, I will be contented with whatever I have. Uh, Whatever situation I'm in, I'm contented. Why? Because Abraham knew that his inheritance is secure in God. Abraham believed that his sufficiency is in the Lord alone. Abraham trusted that it is God who is the source of his blessings. Abraham knew that God's storehouse is limitless. Abraham knew that little is much when God is in it. Abraham also knew that his greedy nephew Lot could not rob him. I want you to listen carefully. Could not rob him of anything that God has for him. Now, I want you to listen to me. I'm going to go from preaching to meddling now, okay? 
Are you listening? Say amen. I'm going to tell you on the authority of God's Word, nobody, nobody, nobody can rob you of what God has for you. Not the government, not Wall Street, not the stock market, not the dishonest people, not one thing can ever rob you of what God has for you. And if somebody tries, God is going to make it up to you with dividends on top. You see, when you are meek, when your power is under control, when you are under the control of the Spirit of God, God has a blessing that's only for you with your name written all over it. Nobody else can take it from you. Can I get an amen? amen. God kept his promise to Abraham, and he inherited the earth. He inherited the promised land. Joseph, the epitome of, of meekness, he was maligned, he was hated, he was mistreated by his older brothers. And yet, when he came to power, make no mistake about it, that was the superpower of the world, not just of the region. When he came to power, untold power over his brothers, total control over his brothers. He could have taken revenge in less, less than a second. He could have called all of the Egyptian army and said, murder these people, kill these people. But he kept his power under control, and instead he forgave them. Isn't that amazing? That is not natural. Hello? It's supernatural. Because Joseph was meek, he inherited the land. As a matter of fact, meekness manifests itself the most when you have power over someone. Listen carefully. Someone who hurt you badly. Someone who hurt you badly. And then you come into power over that person, uh, but you don't do it. You don't use it. You don't use it. When you have power to tarnish your enemy's reputation, but you don't do it. When you have power to destroy the one who sought to destroy you, oh, but you don't do it. That's meekness. When you have the power to undermine confidence in the one who deeply betrayed you, but you don't do it. You don't do it. <clears throat> Blessed, happy, fortunate are the meek, for they will inherit it all. Inherit all. Perhaps if you are looking for perfect meekness, then look no further than our Lord Jesus. He was the creator God, but he became the Lamb of God for you and you and you and me. He knew all the secrets of all the people who were there during his trial. Just think about this. Knowing Caiaphas' secret, <laughs> oh my goodness, what a temptation. Pontius Pilate could have revealed it all. But when he was reviled, he reviled not. When he was unjustly tried and suffered, he threatened not. He could have. He committed himself to the one whose perfect justice will prevail. 
His perfect justice will prevail. Say it with me. His perfect Hear me right, please. It took more power for Jesus to surrender to those soldiers who came to arrest him in Gethsemane than for Peter to pull out his sword and chop the ear of the servant of the high priest. It took more power. You see, what Peter did, Peter's action actually is, is natural, but Jesus' action was supernatural. Let me ask you this. How are you in the meekness department? Not meat department, meekness department. You getting that? I know some of you are getting hungry. Are you continuously having that power under control of the Holy Spirit? The reason I said continuously having it under the control of Spirit, because it is not just an event, it's not just an experience, it's not it's not just a one thing you do. No, no, no. It continues on day after day after day. You see, it never stops. It never stops. When Jesus said, blessed, happy, makarios are the meek, he was quoting Psalm 37, verse 11. Did you know that? If you can, in your Bible, turn to Psalm 37, because it's really important. And we have people now trying to get us to ditch the Old Testament. And Jesus continuously quoted from the Old Testament. In fact, it's the only Bible that Jesus knew. <laughs> he was quoting from Psalm 37. Listen, if you read that psalm, I lived with that psalm several times and occasions in my life when I'm really going through the toughest situations that I've ever faced in the past. I lived with Psalm 37. Read it carefully when you go home. It's an amazing psalm. And the writer of this psalm must have been going through some horrendous circumstances, probably things we will never understand. Wicked people were trying to cut him down. Uh, dishonest people were slandering him. Evil people were trying to ruin his reputation. I wonder how many of us would have reacted in this kind of a situation. How do you react to this? Many years ago, a, 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 a friend who went to be with the Lord now has remained nameless. He said, Michael, I'm sorry, but I will punch that person in the nose and then ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> I said, you don't have to apologize to me. <laughs> I know that natural feeling <laughs> only too well. What most people really do when they get into this situation, because really seldom do we have that kind of power. I'm talking about us as general, all ordinary people like us. We don't really come into this type of power to, like Joseph and, or Abraham. But most people, what they do when they get under these circumstances that Psalmist in 37 was going through, you know what we do? We fret. Hello. We fret. That's what most people do. They fret. And that is why he begins the psalm in verse 1 by saying, fret 
not. <laughs> That's the first, the first thing he comes up with. Fret not yourself, but cease from anger and forsake wrath. A lot of people are fretting these days. Isn't it? See people fretting? Everywhere you turn, they're fretting. In the grocery store, I saw a lot of people fretting. Isn't that amazing? Just fretting. Now, beloved, listen to me. Anger and fretting can be very destructive. I read the other day a story about two... It's, a, it's, 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 it's actually found in a monastery in Germany near a, a place called uh, Babenhausen. If I'm not pronouncing it right, I know Horst will probably correct me. But, and and, and it's, it's placed on display there for many, many years. And what it is, is antlers are permanently locked and somebody found it in the forest and brought it to the seminary and placed it there. What happened, obviously, is that these two animals were fighting with each other, and their antlers got all entangled. So much so they couldn't get untangled, so they died of starvation. And when those two Heads will be found. These horns are locked up. They brought them to the seminary as an object lesson. Wouldn't you like to take these to every home where there's war going on in homes? Just look. That's what happens. Here the psalmist is saying, the meek will always trust in the Lord's deliverance. The meek will always trust in God's justice. The meek will always wait patiently for the Lord who says, vengeance is mine. Question, how can I develop this meekness, this power under control? Great question. I'm glad you asked it because I want to answer it. I'm coming toward the end now. Don't, don't let me lose you, okay? Galatians chapter 5 tells us that you cannot manufacture that. You can't just go, I'm going to be meek, I'm going to be meek, I'm going to be meek. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You can't manufacture it. It is a fruit, not a product. Say that with me. It is a fruit, not a product. It is a fruit, not manufactured object. It's cultivated, not invented. And when you become poor in spirit, when you declare spiritual bankruptcy, and then you live day by day mourning over, mourning over sin, that spirit of meekness develops in you, cultivates in you. The Spirit of Jesus will always bring that meekness. Here I'm going to say something that I personally don't like. I'll tell you up front. What I'm going to say is not something I like, and probably some of you don't like it either. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Cultivating the fruit of meekness takes time. Oh. <laughs> My wife will tell you. I know uh, years ago I said, God is trying to teach me patience. I just wish he will hurry up. 
when Moses was pampered in Pharaoh's palace in Egypt. His father was getting pedicure and manicure. He was pampered. Boy, he was going from sauna to massage to, I mean, he was pampered. When he was pampered in Pharaoh's palace, he knew nothing about meekness. He did not know meekness from cereal for breakfast or kebabs. When he saw two people fighting, with one punch, he killed one. Ah, but after 40 years, 40 years in the Midian desert, shepherding, 40 years wandering and wandering, 40 years, God began to cultivate the spirit of meekness in him. Listen to me. Moses could never have done for God what he did if God had not done for Moses what he did. Prior to those 40 years in the wilderness, Moses would have never, would would have never been able to put up with all the junk. That's the best way I can use. You know, the, the Israelites gave him a lot of junk, right? You remember that? And they gave him lots of junk. <laughs> he, before those 40 years, there would no more he would be able to put up with that junk than he to, to fly to the moon. Listen to me. Some of you might be in a holding pattern right now. And you're kind of going around and around and saying to God, how long, O oh Lord? How long are you going to keep me in this school? How long are you going to keep me in this situation? Oh, God, get me out of this. Thank God I wasn't there for 40 years, but I was there for about nine years in a holding pattern. And I would cry to God. And God said, at the right time, at the right time. Some of you might be in the wilderness right now and asking, when will I be delivered? Remember, God is cultivating meekness in you so that he may be able to use you in a mighty way. Can I get an amen? Amen. During that cultivation period, you can do one of two things. You can either submit or you can fret. You can submit or fret. Submit or fret. Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth. (laughs) <laughs> Some scallywag said, you might inherit the earth only if you can survive paying inheritance tax. <laughs> How shall the meek inherit the earth? Well, actually, Psalm 37, that's why I asked you to turn to it, gives us the answer. Throughout this psalm, and I really hope that you're going to take time and start reading, especially if you get self-quarantined, and you got plenty of time on your hand. Read Psalms 37. Throughout the psalm, and I tell you because I lived with it for many years in the past, there is a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. The wicked and the righteous. And the wicked and the righteous. The wicked does this and the righteous does this. The wicked does this. And it goes on. The contrast is there, very clear. And he says, wait a minute. Appearance can be very deceiving. <laughs> Don't fa- fall for that. The, out- or the outward appearance, it looks like the wicked 
is winning and the righteous is losing. But it is not like that. <laughs> it is not like that. Don't go by appearances. Delight yourself in the Lord, and you will be able to view things from God's perspective. Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust the Lord with all of your heart, and He's going to show you the inside view of things. Submit to the Lord, and He will give you an incredible preview of the coming attractions. <laughs> as long as you fret, you're only going to see from the outside, which is very deceiving. And as long as you are seeing only the outside, you're going to keep on fretting. <laughs> you're going to keep on fretting. It's a vicious cycle. It's going to go on and on and on. But, but, when you seek nothing for yourself, <laughs> God will give you everything. And I'm so glad I can stand here and testify to the truth of the Word of God. And that is why the Apostle Paul could say, having nothing, yet possessing all things. That's what it means. One thing you cannot miss about Jesus, something Zach alluded to early in the, early, the beginning of the service. You never, ever, ever see Jesus fretting. You just read all the four Gospels. Not one time do you find him fretting. Even when things appear to be the worst, how could it be worse than the crucifixion? Because he knew that his daddy got everything under control. When his disciples were fretting in the storms, Jesus was asleep in the storm. When his disciples were fretting over lack of food, he was totally at peace because he was sure of his daddy's provision. The meek shall get it all. We'll get it all. See, usually an inheritance you get when somebody dies, leave you a bequest, his or her will. But in this case, you will fully inherit. Your full inheritance will come when you die. When you die to self, you will grow in meekness. When you die to control, you will grow in meekness. When you die to scheming and manipulating, you will grow in meekness. When you grow in meekness, you'll inherit all things with Christ. Joseph waited for the Lord upon the Lord, and he was exalted and inherited it all. David waited upon the Lord and refused to kill Saul when he could have more than once, and he became the king of Israel. The meek don't have to fret or fight. All they need to do is submit. James tells us in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, let me read it to you. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in what? Nothing. God bless you. Do you long to be set free and liberated from anger, from fretting, whatever circumstances you're in? You want to be set free? I believe with all my heart that God wants you to be set free. 
Before all of this news, and it got worse every day as we watched and changed, and we were going to have communion with a different type way of communion and all of this, and in the end, as we prayed, I said, well, we'll have communion over the Word of God. But before all, early in the week, as my colleagues would tell you, I wanted you to stand up before you come to the table. So I still want you to stand up and testify and claim the promises of God. Can I get any takers? Can I get any takers? Do you stand up? Do you stand up? And I want you, from the top of your lungs, I want you to shout this promise and claim the promise of God and the Word of God. Let the world hear that we do not fret, we do not worry, because our God is in control. It may look out of control, it's not out of His control. I am, I am and so you, invincible until God says so. And so, let's not fret. Read together Psalm 91. It's going to be on the screen, and let's go together. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from snare and with deadly pestilence. Under His wings. You will not be terrified at night, nor the arrow fly by day, nor the pestilence set out in darkness, nor the plague that destroys in midday. A thousand made. We stop there? Now, here we go. I don't want you to stop there. This is important. Then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command the angels concerning you to guide you in this place. We will lift up our hands, not to foot against us. You will have a lion and a cobra. You will trample a great lion and a serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for knowledge of my name. He will call upon me, and I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, how can we thank you for this incredible promise? How can we praise you, God? How can we praise you, God? How we praise you for these promises. And Father, we as your children, we know that by, not by worrying we're going to add an hour to our life, but we know that in you we have our power, our strength, and our being. And Father, we thank you that you hold us in the palms of your hands, that we are engraved on the palms of your hands, that we are carried on your shoulders, and he who touches us touches the apple of your eye. And Lord, I praise you for your promises that we claim them in Jesus' name, not because of who we are, and not even because we're claiming them, but because you've given them to us, and we receive them by faith in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord.